Uh, Caleb and I have labored this year to put sermons in our preaching plan that address the mission statement of this congregation, and it's on the screen uh, behind you. It is our determined mission as a congregation. This this was worked out by uh, the elders, the deacons, and the preachers in our annual uh, planning meeting a few years ago. And the essence of it is that the way we see our localized mission within the work that God has prescribed for us as a body of people in this place is to strengthen our family and influence our community uh, by embodying the truth in love. And so Caleb and I have been breaking that statement down and preaching sermons to reinforce the various aspects of, of that statement. And so tonight's lesson falls into that category of sermons, and more particular, the influencing the community uh, aspect of it. And so that, that connection uh, hopefully will become more clear as we go uh, through this study tonight. An interesting place that uh, this study would take us tonight is to the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was a prophetic priest of God. He was taken into Babylonian captivity in the second carrying away. And so those happened in 606 BC, 597, uh, 606, 597, 586 BC. And so he was in the second group that were carried into Babylonian captivity. He was contemporary with Daniel as one who was also in captivity, he was contemporary with Jeremiah. And so Ezekiel had a message for God's people after he was taken into captivity. And really it was a three-pronged message. There was the component that communicated God's judgment uh, that Israel, the, the city of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And so he communicated to that, that to the people in captivity. There was the call for man's repentance. Sin got the people into that predicament to begin with, and God would require repentance for them to get out of that situation. And there was a third component of that, and it was to convey hope in the midst of despair, to, to give a sense of hope uh, to the people that they would be released, that they would go home, but they would fulfill the seven years, 70 years of captivity that God had prescribed. In this book, in the communication of that message, in you know, very powerful ways, there's a statement that occurs in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 15, that at least for me was, was one of those aha moments when I read it. And I just I just kind of stuck there with it for a minute to think about what had been said. And the verse says this, I came to the captives at Tel Abib who dwelt by the river Kibar, this is in Babylon, and I sat where they sat. I sat where they sat. And I remained there astonished among them seven days. It is this phrase, I sat where they sat, that I want to hone in on tonight as we think about influencing our community by embodying the truth 
in love. The statement demonstrates an important principle that I, I fear we miss sometimes in our efforts to be evangelistic among the lost. There is a sense in which we need to see people from their perspective. In other words, to sit where they sit and to have some sense of appreciation for their plight, not to agree with it, not to condone it, but to figure out where they're at and how we get them to where we need to be. I think it will be interesting tonight as we take that, that phrase or that idea and work through Ezekiel and then transition to some other places and notice three, really three things tonight to just settle this in in our minds and hopefully help us to appreciate the need to sit where they sit. So the first point of observation is this. In preaching to the captives, Ezekiel first sat where they sat. You know, you could ask the question, what did Ezekiel stand to gain by sitting among the people? My, my dad was a people watcher. And, you know, back in the days of the mall, you know, when you'd go to the mall, you don't do that much anymore. But we would go to the mall and my dad would find a good park bench in the mall and he would just sit there and he would watch people. And he would learn a lot by watching people. Sometimes they would sit down beside him and he would engage them in, in conversation. If you knew my dad, dad he, was, he was a fairly quiet man. So just the whole idea of sitting there engaging people was, uh, didn't seem normal uh, for him. But he would do that. He would sit there in the midst of everything that was going on and just get a sense of, of the people uh, in that place. You know, as Ezekiel sat there with the people in captivity, think about what he might learn, what he might gain by sitting and watching and observing their behavior. The Bible goes on to say there that he sat for seven days and was astonished in that period of time. And you know, in your mind, you think, why seven days? What's so significant about seven days? And you could take the, the figurative, symbolic route with that and say, well, seven is a symbol of perfection so or completeness. So that was a complete time, maybe. But maybe there's just a little more literal meaning here. In Leviticus chapter 8, verse 33, when the priests were consecrated, there was a period of seven days of consecration for that. Ezekiel is a prophet and a priest who's called and commissioned by God to preach a message. So maybe, maybe the seven days is that. In Job chapter 2, verse 13, when Job's friends came to sit by him in his ash heap, that was a seven-day period, a proper period of time for mourning, evidently, as we see in other passages in the Old Testament. So maybe it was of respect, out of respect for the morning. And maybe it was just the time that it took for Ezekiel to get a good feel for the people, to get to the point to where he could empathize with their situation 
in order to speak to their need. What would Ezekiel have seen sitting among the people? We're talking about a sinful people who've gone into captivity because of their sin. So maybe would maybe would just have seen a group of obstinate, rebellious people who were mad at God because of their situation. Maybe. But it's interesting that there's a psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 137, that has a subheading to it, longing for Zion and a foreign land. And that psalm, Psalm 137, verses 1 and 2, says this. It's a reflection of the attitude of a people who are in a foreign land longing for Zion. And what does it say? By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. Here is an attitude of remorse, an attitude of loss, an attitude of regret, an attitude of a people who can't even play and sing their songs of joy and rejoicing because of their plight. So what do they do? They hang them on the limbs of the willow. They don't feel like playing. And maybe that's exactly what Ezekiel saw when he took the time to sit down among the people, an attitude of loss, of suffering, of hurt, a people who were ripe for a message from God. Maybe that's it. I don't know. That's, there's a lot of speculation in what I just said. But what I do know is that God's messengers carry a strong message, but at the same time, they're able to feel the plight of the people. It's not, it's not an effective message when it's just a beat down and drag people through their sins kind of evangelistic message. It seems to be much more effective when the person preaching the message from God can feel where the people are and where they need to go. In Lamentations chapter 2, verse 11, we read these words reflective of Jeremiah. My eyes fell with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. As we think about this idea of sitting where they sit, and we reflect on the attitude and the mindset in this psalm of the people who are in a foreign land longing for Zion and the fact that Ezekiel sat down where they sat for seven days and was astonished at their situation. There seems to be a lesson about connecting with people in order to preach to people. I just wonder tonight if that's a consistent theme throughout the Bible. Is it just circumstance here with Ezekiel? And have I made a point that's really not a point? Or is the observation that we've made of Ezekiel consistent with what we see from other messengers of God who had to preach to people, but who in doing it was, were determined to know where the people were sitting in order to do that?
Our second point of observation then tonight is that in preaching to sinners, Jesus also sat where they sat. In preaching to sinners, Jesus also sat where they sat. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the redemptive work that Jesus did could have started and stopped at the cross. He could have just gone straight to the cross, did the work there, and that could have been the beginning and the end of it. But you know, as a Bible student, that's not where it began. And it didn't really begin with his personal ministry. It didn't really begin with the virgin birth. It began way back further than that in prophecy. Prophecy that stated, in fact, what kind of messenger Jesus would be. It began in prophecy with a Savior who was attuned to humanity's struggle. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, we read these words, Jesus quoting an Old Testament prophecy. says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It's interesting in Jesus' proclamation from prophecy of the work that he had come to do to preach a message of salvation. It is a message that takes into consideration the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the struggle, the plight of the people to whom he would be preaching. And you know, we have the miracles in the Bible, the miracles that Jesus performed. They could have been anything. The nature of the miracles could have been anything. We know that God had the power to demonstrate himself by turning the, the degrees of the sundial backwards or forwards. That, that would be convincing. He can rain fire and brimstone down from heaven as a demonstration of his power. Uh, any miracle that you could imagine Jesus could have used to support the work that he was doing in proclaiming the gospel. But have you ever really thought about the nature of the miracles that Jesus performed in connection with his ministry? The miracles were in, done in order to authenticate him and his messengers. But think about the nature of these miracles. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law who was sick. He relieved the demon possessed. The Bible says he healed all the sick who were brought to him. And then the Bible says he did this that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, 
He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. You see, the nature of the miracles that Jesus used predominantly were miracles of healing and help for people who had been stricken with things that were ruining their lives. And what did the prophet Isaiah say about this coming Messiah? What kind of proclaimer of God's message would he be? Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Isaiah 63 and verse 9, In all their affliction he was afflicted. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. What I see in the ministry work of Jesus is a person who was compassionate. A person who had sit with the people, often criticized for sitting with tax collectors and sinners. But why did he do it? Why not just go to the cross, do the cross, and be done with it? Why did he engage in a ministry where he sat with people and experienced and realized their circumstances and situations? Because the Hebrews writer is going to write in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of the things that makes Jesus so attractive as a savior and as a preacher to the problems of the people is the fact that he sat where man sat. He took upon him the form and nature of a man and lived the life that we live. He didn't live a high and mighty in society life separated from people with no realization or reality of what they deal with in life. He came right in the midst of it. And so he can sympathize with us. And it seems to me that the point we ought to take away from that is that the high priest we see when we approach God's throne is one who bore qualities that the lost must see in us when we tell them about him. They should see that same kind of care and compassion in us when we go and preach on behalf of him. And so in preaching to sinners, Jesus also sat where they sat. The third and final point of observation tonight is this. In preaching to the lost, it is crucial for us to sit where they sit. In fact, I would suggest to you tonight we will not be nearly as effective in preaching and evangelizing to people, if all we care about is getting the gospel into their ears and we don't take the time to understand where they are at, how they got there, what their life is like, 
I mean, we say things like people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, right? And there's a lot of truth in that. People don't want to hear a message from that comes across at least as uh, I'm better than you and you need to come up here where I'm at. They do. But they want to hear from people who are willing to understand where they're at. And if we could do anything to fine-tune and hone our efforts in evangelism, maybe it's this. Maybe it's the need to sit where people sit so we can help them get to where they need to be. There seem to be three ingredients consistently in what Ezekiel does here, what Jesus did, what Paul did, and maybe what we should do as well. There appear to be three ingredients to reaching lost people. One is we need to be instructed by the word. In Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 7, God tells Ezekiel, speak my words to them. Not your words, but my words. You, you don't save anybody without God's words. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We are instructed by the word of God if we're going to be evangelistic and successful at it. But number two, we need to be overwhelmed by the responsibility overwhelmed by the responsibility of evangelizing a lost world. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 14 records that Ezekiel went in bitterness and anger. He was overwhelmed with the responsibility to do what he was called to do. But here's the third one that really gets to what we're talking about tonight. Effective evangelism is not just about being instructed in the word of God. It's not just about being overwhelmed with the responsibility. It's also about being acclimated with the people's plight. Understanding where they are at. That's Ezekiel chapter three, verse 15. I came to the captives at Tel Abib who dwelt by the river Kibar and I sat where they sat and I remained there astonished among them seven days. Chapter 11, verse 13 of Ezekiel records these words. I fell on my face and cried with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a complete end of the remnant of Israel? It wasn't a destroy them now message. It was a pleading with God about what he intended to do with the people. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Just attitudes of reflection on the situations and circumstances that people have found themselves in as they wandered away from God. And it doesn't seem to be, I told you so, you get what you deserve. It just seems to be a consistent theme of trying to feel the people's feelings and understand their situation to be more effective at reaching them. 
Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies. But Paul wept over their plight and their situation. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 records of Jesus when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Acclimated to the people's plight is an essential component to effective evangelism. Ezekiel's ministry began with silence and in many respects, brothers and sisters, so should ours. To see people where they are and to try to understand where they are so that we can help them get to where they need to be. Our mission statement challenges us to sit where they sit. The New American Commentary makes this statement that uh, seems appropriate here. While we do not participate with them in a godless lifestyle, we must seek to understand their emptiness and alienation if we are to be effective communicators of the word of God. And I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all men, yet I have made myself servant to all. Why? That I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To them that are under law, as under law, that I might win those who are under law. To those who are without law, and then he goes on to explain, nobody in essence is without law, but he's talking specifically about the Gentiles outside of the law of Moses. But even to the Gentiles I became as one who is without law in order that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak. I, and then he says, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker therewith, uh, thereof with you. And so even Paul understood the same principle of being where the people are and understanding where they're at to be a better and more effective communicator of the gospel to them. George Fox was the originator of the Friends movement, which in essence is the Quaker religion. He lived from 1624 to 1691, and though I don't condone anything about his religious purposes, he made this statement relative to the idea and concept that we're talking about tonight, and it seems fitting as a summary of what we're talking about. He said, I have prayed to be baptized into the sense of all conditions that I might be able to know the needs and feel the sorrows of all. That's a pretty good summary of what we're talking about tonight. It's hard to preach to people who are struggling, who are in a situation where they're facing death, 
at any moment, who don't know where their next meal is going to come from, who have lost jobs, don't know where their income is, how it's going to be replaced. It's short-sighted to just walk into those situations and preach a message that doesn't take any of that into consideration. There may be some exceptions to that. But by and large, the people in our world are often in situations where they can't hear what we are saying clearly because of the messes that they are in. And all I'm saying tonight is if we're going to influence our community by embodying the truth and love, that's going to require us to sit where they sit and to try to understand their life from their perspective so that we can give them the guidance and the direction from God's word to get where they need to be. And may God help us to do just that. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, it would be our hope tonight that you would obey the gospel. Maybe you need to study with someone to learn more about what that even means. We're ready to help you in any way that we can to sit with you and to study God's word and help you see his love for you and what he has done to save you and redeem you from your sins. Maybe that's your need. Maybe you have some other need we can assist you with tonight. This invitation song has been selected and we're going to sing to encourage. If you have a need, why don't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262. Or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.